Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 1 John. We're going to kind of close out chapter 3 and kind of move into chapter 4. Again, I want to encourage you as we're going through the weeks, these weeks, if you want to read, uh, it's, you know, Four comes after three. Uh, Most of you made it through maths, and then five comes after four. So we can just keep reading on your own if you'd like uh, as we work through uh, this wonderful book about God's love, about us paying attention uh, to the things that we hear, and about uh, avoiding running from fleeing the systems and the sin of the world. And so in 1 John chapter 3, we're going to kind of close out chapter three and read chapter four, but have you ever heard something that's too good to be true? This just can't be true. It can't be true. Maybe you're up late at night and you're watching one of those infomercials and like, this just isn't, this just cannot be real. And so you're tempted to buy it just to prove that it's not real. You're, you're tempted to, or, or maybe you like Shark Tank, that movie with all those famous uh, wealthy people like Mark Cuban, and, and there's something on there that's like, this surely isn't, can't work. And then when they ask for their sales and they've sold $2,000, yep, too good to be true. Or maybe, I, and I don't know how many of you are on Instagram, uh, but I get all the time on my Instagram feed, my social media feed, these people who want me to invest in Bitcoin, which is this, you know, money that doesn't exist, basically. And so there are times when it's too good to be true. It's important for us to test those things that we come across. And John, as he speaks here to this church, to the church's In Asia Minor, he's helping them see not just is that true in the marketplace, but we need to test what we hear when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the things of Scripture, when it comes to the truth of who Jesus is. And so if you've gotten to 1 John 3, we're going to just read verse 24, the very last verse of chapter 3, and then we're going to read the first six verses of chapter 4 because they tie together uh, pretty well. 1 John 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us. By the spirit, that's important, by the spirit whom he has given us. And then the ancient text didn't have chapter delineation, so there's just a continuation of thought. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, verse 4 begins. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know 
the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You may have noticed recently that a famous man named Elon Musk, he owns Tesla, the electric car company, but he also owns a little group called SpaceX that's helped NASA uh, return to the International Space Station. But the last couple of years, he's offered you and I an amazing opportunity, the chance to go to Mars, to go to Mars. Our life could be just like that. For the low, low price of somewhere between two hundred and five hundred thousand dollars and $500,000, you could live on Mars one day. Now, right now, that's a one-way ticket for $500,000 because they don't know how to get you back yet. But have you thought about that? It, what, what, should I go to Mars? No, no is the answer, by the way, in case you're wondering. No is the answer. But, but there's something intriguing about that, like, oh, we, we could live on a different planet. It's too good to be true. And right now it is too good to be true. But at the turn of the 20th century, that's the 1900s, there was a famous astronomer named Percival, Percival Lowell. That's him right there. He was a world-renowned astronomer. He actually, his research helped us discover the planet Pluto. And he discovered another minor planet as well. But in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he had heard of this Italian astronomer who had seen canals on Mars, the red planet. And Percival Lowell became so enamored with the red planet that he spent his final decades of his career peering through a giant telescope in Arizona, mapping Mars, because he believed there were canals, water on Mars, proving that there was life on Mars, perhaps a wiser, older humanity than what we have here on Earth. Earth. And for nearly 20 years, Percival did this, studied Mars, looked through the telescope, mapped these canals, believing that there was water, there was life on Mars. And yet today, we know there, there are no canals on Mars. The entire planet has been mapped with space probes and rovers. You may have heard of the Spirit and the Opportunity, two rovers that lasted over 15, about 15 years mapping and going all over Mars. We know that those canals do not exist. And so how is it that a world-renowned scientist could declare this. And for those latter years of his, of his research, no one questioned him because he was so famous, because he was so good at what he did. What, what can explain this? How, how do we come up with this? How, how can we see someone who was so smart and he missed it? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why Professor Lowell didn't actually see canals. One of the reasons is that he actually wanted to see the canals, and so he wanted to see them so badly that he actually did see them. 
And isn't that how we are sometimes? We want something so bad that we actually see it. It's a mirage. We, we make it real when really it's not. There's nothing there and we think there's something there. And he did it over and over and over again for years and years and years. He wanted to see those canals. But let me offer a second reason why Percival Lowell may have seen canals on Mars. It could have been that Professor Lowell had a rare eye disease. And that rather than seeing canals on a distant planet, he was actually seeing, when he looked at that telescope, the bulging veins in his own eyes. And those were the canals that he was mapping, the veins in his own eyes. And today, that rare eye disease is called Lowell's Syndrome. Named after one who had it and made it famous. Some things are too good to be true. They're not true. And so we have to test them. We have to pay attention. And no matter how famous or smart or important or position you and I might have, it's important that we test every spirit. Now, the struggle is that sometimes... We test too much. Sometimes we test too little. But as John writes to these early churches, he doesn't want us to just walk through life blindly. He wants us to see the truth, to experience the truth, and to know the truth of God's word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits. Do not believe everything you hear or see in this case. <laughs> Don't believe everything you hear. It's true in the news media, it's true in social media, and it's true in spiritual circles. Verse one is a, is a present tense command. Like it's active right there. Do not believe. So in the moment right now, do not believe. And when you get to the next moment, do not believe everything. <laughs> Test everything. We need to be evaluating the teaching and the truth that people are delivering to us. Is this from God? Because false teachers not just didn't just exist in the ancient world, they exist today. They've existed in every time period. False teachers, heretical ideas, things that are against the word of God. People have said wild things about salvation, about Jesus, about sin, about our own actions throughout the course of history. And that hasn't changed and it won't change. People are going to twist the truth as they have been since the garden. It will not end. I, I wish I had a dollar for every time in my ministry career that someone came up to me and said, Pastor, I heard that you said I wouldn't need to work here if I had a dollar for every time that happened. Or someone on our, I heard so-and-so, naming another minister or a leader or someone. Well, how did you hear that? Well, so-and-so 
told so-and-so who mentioned it to me. Hmm, wonderful. You ever played that little telephone game where you sit in a circle and you whisper something in somebody's ear? You know, we walked down the street to get bread, turns into the brown cow, went to pasture. It, it, it's, we, we mess things up, we, we get it wrong. Or it, it's true. We, we twist things all the time and so it's important to test everything we hear. And I want to encourage you today, if you're a follower of Christ, and you're a member, or even if you're not a member of this church, you're a member of any church, I, I would encourage you that when you're in a group of people and those kind of conversations start, let me challenge you to be the one to shut it down and say, this isn't true. This isn't right. We don't know this. It's not our place to, and especially if you're in a group of people that includes non-believers or non-church members, because then what do those people think about the bride of Christ? Right? They get a misrepresentation of the bride of Christ. Not little old First Baptist friends would, no, they get a misrepresentation of the bride of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so may we remember that what we say matters too. What we allow others to say about the church, the big C church, matters. We should test everything. And we should be willing to stand up, no matter who it is, and say, I'm not sure that's right. I'm not sure you have the truth. I'm not sure you have the story right. I'm not sure you have your facts straight. What spirit is that coming from, those words that you're speaking? Are those, spirit, those words spirit and truth? Are those words of love and action? Or are those words of division and disharmony? Because Jesus provides a test for us. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. And for us, our fruit is often what we say and how we act. John provides evidence for us in chapter 3 that our evidence of, of being a right and true and honest and spirit of God-led person is that we would be righteous, he says in chapter 3, verse 10. That the love of God and the love for others flows from us. And so it's hard to speak against the bride of Christ. It's hard to speak against a brother or sister in Christ when the love of God and the love for others flows out of you. It's hard to do that. And so we have to test every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear or see. Because our challenge sometimes is that as we hear things about what God says or about the life of the church or about how we should live, sometimes our desire is to just sort of dismiss everything and say, well, I'm just not going to believe anything. Or we believe everything. 
So we kind of live in these two camps, and yet the scripture is constantly telling us, no, the, the extremes is not where the truth is. No, we test the truth. By this, you know the spirit of God. When you and I examine, when we dive deep, when we evaluate, when we research, when we look into, when we pray over, we know the spirit of God. And when it comes to the things of God, there's one big test. And that test is Jesus. When someone's speaking to you about the things of God, there's only one question that really matters. Is Jesus real? That's the big test. Jesus is real. If you're in a conversation with someone and they minimize the divinity, the power the majestic nature of God in the flesh, then you better be on guard. It's not just an acknowledgement that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a great man, that he was provided a wonderful example to all of us. No, the test is Jesus. Faith in him and a profession of his life, his ministry, salvation in him and him alone, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the one and only divine human. That's the test. And it's pass or fail. That's the test. Jesus is the one and only divine human. And that confession is crucial. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Confession is important. It's important for us. It's important for the world to know. That those who would take us away from the heart of the gospel, those that would take us away from the things of God, they will minimize the work and the life of Jesus. They'll do it every time. They'll pick and choose what they want out of the life of Jesus. Our culture does it all the time and it will continue to do so. But we must stand true and firm on his divinity, his power over sin and death and his ministry, his bodily resurrection on that third day. That's the test that Jesus came as the perfect divine human. God in the flesh. He lived perfectly and he died on a cross for your sin and mine and he was raised on the third day, a bodily resurrection. When you and I can confess those simple things, when we hear that confession from others, we know that they are speaking in a spirit from God. Because that is foundational to Christianity. Anyone who teaches contrary to that is not from God. And let me tell you, false teachers existed in the first century and they exist in the 21st century and they'll tell you all that. They'll give you lots of good stuff that'll tickle your ears and make you feel good about yourself. But if they do not stand firm on the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Holy One of God, they're misguided. And I love John. He's kind of this, you know, like he, he gives you a little bit of a one-two punch and then he hugs you as he writes this book. It's sort of like, you know, like, hey, pay, pay attention. Like, 
These people are not of the world. He's like very strong, like this strong message, like these people are not of the world. And, and if you're going to pay attention to them, you're, you're or not of the world, not of God. And then you're not of God either. Like he, he sort of gives you a little, you know, gut punch, but then he comes and's like, oh, okay. All right. Come on, come on. And he puts his arm around us and he says, little children. Okay, let, let's, let's bring it back in. We're all big family. I had to be tough on you for a minute. But you're victorious. You're a winner. If you believe that Jesus came in the flesh, died for your sins, rose again, then you're victorious over sin and death. What a great message. What the greatest news in the world. Little children, Remember that, pay attention to that. You are from God as he speaks to this church. That's his favorite phrase, little children. We've already mentioned it three or four times. We're gonna mention it a few more. You and I possess the greatest power in the world. We possess the greatest power in the world, the power over sin and death. We have victory. And sometimes I think we live like we might just barely make it across the finish line. And John is reminding us over and over again, you and I possess the greatest power in the world, the power over sin and death. The power of God living in and through us. It's greater. It is greater than the world's power. Nothing in this world can overcome you. If you follow Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. You have overcome because Christ overcame. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Let's live that way. Let's live victorious. Let's live a life full of grace and hope and peace and power. Let's live evaluating those things that come at us that don't seem exactly right, right? We have the power, right? We have the spirit of God living inside of us. And so I have the ability, I have the discernment because Jesus lives in me to determine is this accurate? Is this appropriate? Is this right? Is this true? Does this align with God's word? I possess that power because my power doesn't come from me. It comes from God. I'm a victorious overcomer. These ancient believers, they had the power over these false teachers we have the power over those who would lead us astray today. We have the power to know the truth, to live the truth, to abide, dwell, live, hang out, get comfortable in the truth. And so I want to encourage you today to live in the power of Jesus, to live in truth. And when those around you would begin speaking in a spirit of division, in a spirit that doesn't honor Christ, 
and a spirit that, that tears the church apart, that you would be bold enough, strong enough, gracious enough to politely, with your arm around them and maybe a finger in their side, not a gut punch, but a finger in their side, and say, you know, let's change the subject. Because that's when the world knows who we are. But more importantly, they know who Jesus is. The one who died for them. And so may we pay attention to the message and to the character of the messenger. May we spur one another on so that we may live in the power of the spirit, the power of victory, the power of God's love, testing everything that we say and helping others walk in truth. That's our task. That's our goal is to live in the power of the spirit. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of our error. May we listen carefully. May we love with integrity. Will you pray with me?